Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Campia Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Then, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, a Monday that we celebrate the 44-year-old Tom Brady throwing for 411 yards and five touchdowns, and where we celebrate Seattle Seahawks, Wilson, Getting the middle finger all torn up. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett's here. Robert, how you doing? <laughs> Sorry about Wilson, man. That was rough. I really, really like Wilson. It was Six really games. Six games he's out. Oh. Um, yeah, you had to bring that up on a Monday morning. Thanks, buddy. Uh, so, um, sorry about that. You know, I wish him the best. I, I wish him a speedy recovery. My Jedi Knights of the Pacific Northwest will prevail, John. I don't know how their season will go, but they will prevail. It will prevail. All right, guys. It's great to have you here. Hope you guys all had a magnificent weekend. I know Rob had a really good weekend. Uh, you got to see Dune. I did. Now, uh, thanks I, now, to you and I didn't talk off, off camera about this, but are you under any sort of embargo that you know NDA? of? Yeah. Are you under any side of NDA? No, or because embargo? the movie's out. You know, it's uh, that's been, right. That's right. Overseas is already it's, out. It's been reviewed. So. I mean, I have to say thank you to my viewer, Just a Brown Girl. That's how she goes by on the channel. She's written a lot of letters to my channel. She called me up, and uh, she's a member of the Producers Guild, and this was a Producers Guild scre- screening on the lot. Denis Villeneuve was there with John Spates and Eric Roth, the screenwriters, along with Francine Maisler, who cast the film, and uh, a couple other people, Donald Moat, the makeup artist. And it was really um, – it's an extraordinary movie – and I loved watching it. My only, my only thing that I wonder, John, is if you are not here with the story of Dune, being that it's only the first half of the book, does the story work for you? I'd be curious because it's impl- I've read the book. I've seen both other versions of the first of the first Dune, the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries, and obviously David Lynch's movie. So my question after seeing it is, it's an extraordinary cinematic achievement. See it on the biggest screen in the loudest venue possible. But I wonder if you don't know Dune, can you follow everything that's going on in the movie? That's my only question. Right, and And you don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't know the answer because I already know the story and I've read the book, but i that's the only thing. It's a very complex movie i think there's a lot going on in it and i'm just curious if you don't know dune do you get it all but That's let all. me ask you okay that aside even though you're somebody who already knows dune what was robert meyer burnett's experience like sitting in that theater and watching dune oh dude uh, it's overwhelming i mean i don't think you know i thought blade runner 2049 had one of the greatest sound mixes i've ever heard this movie i mean it felt like I was watching something that was shot in another universe. <laughs> and I mean, it, I mean, the scale of there, there's something about Denis Villeneuve's use of visual effects and things. It, it feels utterly real, you know, and, and the sound and the, just the music on Zimmer's score and the scope of it all. I mean, I, it was overwhelming to watch. And uh, it, it, between Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and um, and this, I mean, this is some of the most transportive science fiction you'll ever see in the theater. And I, I, I the acting was all top-notch. Um, 
you know, I just, I, I love the whole thing. I loved all of it. Now, again, I couldn't tell you, however, whether it did a great job of telling the story of Dune to the uninitiated, because I can't speak to that. I will say this. It's one of the most overwhelming science fiction adaptations of any literary work ever done. And it's a, it's an extraordinary achievement. By the way, so I've got uh, in the live chat there because of, of what you're saying there in the live chat, uh, Worms of Saturn is saying people are coming out of the theater have said that they did not need to know Dune in order to follow and enjoy. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I can't speak to myself. I haven't seen it yet, Rob. Now I know how you feel like sometimes I haven't seen it yet, Rob. You have. By the way, I'm going to go see Eternals on Monday. <laughs> so, well, there you go. But I, 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 I would have trade places with you, though. I would have traded places with because, you know, for me, Dune is my number one most anticipated movie. So I'm just a little bit dripping with a bit of jealousy right now. It's, uh, it's staggering. And, and that theater, you know, the Steve Ross Theater is one of my favorite theaters in Los Angeles because it's tweaked to perfection. The sound system and projection are are chef's kiss to that. The sound <laughs> is, is just so thunderous. And I, I could sit there, you know, you you could watch this movie blindfolded and still love it because and just sit back and listen to it it's that transportive well i'm looking forward to see it in a uh, dolby atmos theater because oh. i've heard nothing but great things about the sound mix so uh thanks for sharing your little thoughts in there rob i can't wait for us to do a full proper review of it once yeah. i get a chance to see it too uh by the way our friend eric benson sends in like a 20 dollars super chat badge in the live chat thank you eric really appreciate that dude very much uh, so there you have it guys uh robert meyer burnett gives his Robert seal of approval uh, to up. Dune. Thumbs up from Rob. So I can't wait for us to talk about more in depth. Well, I just can't wait to talk about it at all because I haven't seen the damn thing yet. So I cannot wait. All right, guys, listen, here's how today's show is going to go. We break it up into two parts. Of course, the first half of the show, we take some predetermined topics. In the second half of the show, we take your live comments and questions. If you'd like to fire in a live comment or question to be read on this show or an upcoming companion video, simply go down into the description of the video and you'll see a tip link. Just click on that there or you can enter it in manually at www www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on the show if, of course, it's appropriate for one of our shows. And, of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us here with the John Campia Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. One other little bit of housekeeping, guys. Don't forget, if you can't get your daily fix of the John Campia Show in front of a YouTube channel, good news, there's an audio-only version of the show we call the John Campia Show Podcast. Just go to your favorite podcasting app of choice, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, and just search for the John Campia Show Podcast. It's a, Again, it's an audio-only version of the show. Go and subscribe to it today so it is there when you need it. Okay, guys. With that all down, let's do uh, one more off the top here. We'll kind of consider that Dune thing an off the top. Let's do another one before we get into our main topic today, and that is this. Rob, one of the, uh, you know, kind of most iconic for a lot of people over the last number of decades, horror franchises, has yep. been Scream, which is really interesting because it kind of, Scream itself started off as a horror, yes, but a little bit of a deconstruction of the horror genre, Indeed. a little bit of spoof in there at the same time, a little bit of, of that. And it was a really a unique film when it first came out, like very unique. And of course, that spawned a franchise. Full disclosure, Rob, I'm not a big Scream fan. 
Mm. I like the first film. The first film, because of all the reasons we just described, I thought it was really interesting. It didn't achieve like all-time cult status for me like it did for a bunch of people, but I enjoyed the first one. I have not really cared about any of the ones that came since. I know a lot of people love them. Awesome. Not quite for me, but they have been making a new one, Rob. I don't know if you were aware of that. They've been making a new Scream, and they have now released the first poster and images from the new Scream. If you want, here's a take a look at the poster here. This is the poster. Now, listen, again, as somebody who does not really care about Scream, this is a good poster, especially for a first poster, because it it exactly communicates to an audience what this is, right? It's cool. You got that iconic mask holding the knife, and it just says Scream. Only in theaters, January 2022, January 14th, 2022. So it's all there. It's a good poster. I, I, I got to say, for a first... Now, I'd like to see a better one for the full final theatrical, but for a first poster, I think this thing does a pretty damn good job. Now, on top of the poster, they also released a bunch of images for it. So there we see um, uh, Courtney Cox and... Uh, oh, I forget the name. Who's the name of the other girl? The main girl. I forget her name. Uh, uh, Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell coming back and, of course, reprising their roles. Got somebody else in that iconic mask. We got Dewey there. We got Dewey there, David Cox, who, by the way, was the very... David Cox was the first celebrity I met when I came to Los Angeles. He was the first David one. David Arquette. David Arquette. I can't say David Cox, sorry. David Arquette, formerly married to Courtney Cox. Yes. Um, he was the very first celebrity I ever met in L.A. I came into L.A. His publicist got a hold of me, said he saw I was in town, and he, was, he did this little... He directed this little horror movie about a slasher killer uh, on... Uh, uh, that wore, wore a Ronald Reagan mask, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but they did. They were doing a big screening of it at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and they invited me down. I got to meet David Arquette, and he was very, very nice. Um, at any rate, so we get to see David Arquette, um, and then we see some of the new cast as well, looking very Scream-ish. Like, how much does that shot look like a reproduction of the Drew Barrymore shot from the original Scream? So that one's there as well. Uh, we got some other images there, again, very, very simple. Here's the new teenagers that are going to be, you know, high school teenagers that are going to be haunted and terrified by, you know, the new whoever is wearing the scream mask now. So uh, honestly, Rob, to me, the behind the scenes, the pictures there, uh, blah, they're just stills of random, non inconsequential things from the movie, whatever. They didn't really show much. But the poster itself, I got to say, looks pretty good. Rob, let me ask you, what are your thoughts on the Scream series overall? Are you looking forward to this new Scream? And what do you think about the new uh, poster and images we're getting? Well, I I really liked the first Scream a lot because, as you pointed out, it was both a deconstruction uh, and a parody, but also it was also a great horror film in its own right. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the first one, when the reveal happens about who's been perpetrating what's going on, I thought it was really clever and it was unexpected. And there was something really evil and diabolical about that reveal. And I thought, you know, this is a widescreen movie. I really, really like the first Scream. But the problem to me is that the franchise, while it, it's fine, you know, it, it, it was never as fresh as that first film, as many, many movies that have lots of sequels aren't. And I, I sort of lost interest in the franchise, especially... You know, when you bring back these characters again and again and again, it's like, why don't you guys move? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, you know, at at the end of the day, it's it's, you know, to go, go. I don't know. Go live abroad. (laughs) 
But, you know, I'll watch it. They're fun movies. So the question is for you guys. What do you think about uh, this poster for Scream? I, as somebody who's not really big on the franchise, like I say, I think the poster is really effective. And I may not care much about this franchise, but I'll give it a shot. Maybe I'll fall in love with it. Question is for you guys. How do you feel about this? Are you looking forward to the new Scream? Do you like the new poster? Whatever you guys are thinking about, jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, oh, and by the way, I should also mention our friend Ronan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Ronan. Appreciate that, man. With that down, let's get into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jalen Pryor, who writes, Hey, John and crew. Hope all is well. Thank you so much, Jalen. So, Timothy Chalamet just posted a picture of him in full Willy Wonka costume. And while I don't know much about the movie so far, I can't lie, it genuinely looks like he's going to have a blast with this role, and I'm excited for it. What do you think we can expect from his performance, and does this get you excited for the movie? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, listen, it surprised a lot of people a little while ago when they announced that they were going to be doing a new Willy Wonka film, and this one is going to be a prequel. With And that was interesting enough, but where it really got my attention was when they announced that Timothy Chalamet was going to be playing the younger Willy Wonka. And the reason that catches my attention is this, is because I believe that Timothy Chalamet is the next Daniel Day-Lewis. Now, I'm not saying he's there yet. He's certainly not. And I'm not saying he's going to get to the status of Daniel Day-Lewis, but out of any actor working in the world today that I believe has the potential to be that next guy, to be the one to sit on Daniel Day-Lewis's throne now that Daniel Day-Lewis has retired. I honestly think it could be Timothy Chalamet because this guy is ridiculously stupid talented already at a pretty damn young age. And he's only getting better every time I see him. And Rob, I haven't seen him in Dune yet, and you have. So I, I don't even know about that yet, but I'm very excited about that. Anyway... You'd be forgiven if you'd almost forgotten about this thing because there hasn't been a lot of talk about it. But Timothy Chalamet did recently jump on social media and he released the first images of him uh, in the costume. And we get a good look at it here with the iconic jacket, the top hat. He's got that real mischievous look in his face. If you just look at it, I just get a closer look at that face. I mean, he's just got that kind of mischievous, playful look in his eyes all at the same time. Now, Rob, look. It's just an image. It's just one picture. A picture is not going to tell us whether this movie is going to be good or not or whatever. But I do know this, Rob. Timothy Chalamet right now is one of the few actors in the world where he gets to pick and choose whatever movie he wants to do. He's just in that. Like he, most actors, even the famous ones, people don't realize they still have to get their agents to try to get them the big roles they want. Timothy Chalamet is in a position right now where he gets to pick what he wants to do. 
And for him to look and his representation to look at this and go, yeah, this looks meaty. This looks good. That kind of excites me for the project, just knowing that he chose to be in this makes me kind of excited. I think the image looks good, but still at the end of the day, it doesn't really tell us a lot. The movie could be utterly giant mounds of donkey crap for all we know. But I love that he's in it. And I do kind of like the image a lot. Rob, you've had a chance to take a look at this. What do you feel about, you know, this upcoming Willy Wonka prequel idea? And what do you think about the image and Timothy Chalamet being in it? Well, first of all, I thought the image is great. I I mean, I I could definitely see him being the precursor to Gene Wilder in the original, you know, the original beloved film from the what early 70s. Um, And I love the Roald Dahl books. You know, I loved I wish they would make Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator because it's got aliens in it. and I loved it, Um, but they didn't. But I think that this looks good. I mean, I think that he can bring. Uh, look, I love. I thought he was great as Paul Atreides. I really liked him in, you know, my name. There, everything I've seen him in, I've liked him in. And like you said, I think he's one of our great young actors. And I think he needs to do something like this, where he's going to have fun. I just hope they don't give him like the daddy issues that they brought to the Tim Burton version, mm. the Johnny Depp version. Which I, you know, I was never, I wasn't a big fan of that because I always thought that Willy Wonka in the books was kind of this Machiavellian pulling the strings kind of guy that that set traps for all these kids like you know he 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 wanted to see what they were what they were i mean he was going to bequeath the entire business to the to the kid who made it through and finds out that charlie bucket is truly a good person and worthy of the of the of the wonka name and i always love that and i i believe that we're going to see the proper genesis of that character in timothy chalamet's wonka and i look forward to it i i you know, I wasn't, I got to tell you, I wasn't at all like, eh, you know, whatever. But I saw this image and I'm like, all right, all right. That's, that's, uh, that looks good to me. And it, it, <laughs> it, it upped my excitement level a bit. Now, which yeah. is what any pictures are supposed to do, I guess. Now, look, I know there's still a bunch of people out there um, who probably, I'm going to go on a limb, Rob, and guess the majority of the people. Uh, watching this have probably not seen his two best performances one was call me by your name which that was really i may have seen him in something else before that and i just don't remember but that's one where i watched that movie and i watched this guy and went dear heavens this kid is amazing and then there's another little movie that i bet most people haven't seen that he did with steve carell called beautiful boy which again was a totally different kind of character for him. And again, it just absolutely blew my mind. And then he was in something that I didn't think was all that great, but again, his performance elevated the movie. It was called the King um, that he was just phenomenal. in. I haven't seen yeah. Dune yet. I haven't seen Dune like you have, um, but how was he in Dune? Like generally speaking, how did you think he was in Dune? I, you know what? I thought he was great in Dune. I, I, you know, I really did. I, and uh, he has the weight of the world on his shoulders and, he still has to be the kind of person he has to be. I, I thought he was really, really good. I, I, I don't think they could have picked a better person to play Paul Atreides. I thought he was great. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? Are you at all excited for a Willy Wonka prequel? I wasn't tremendously until I heard Chalamet was going to be in it. What do you think about the image? Does it kind of fit what you were thinking about? Did you think it would look like something completely different? Where are you guys at right now? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts.
And by the way, our friends Nathan McCullough sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Nathan. As does Javier Rodriguez sends in like a ten dollars super chat in the live badge. Thank you, Javier. Appreciate that very much, man. As does Willie uh, Ie. Willie Ie sends in like a, a twenty dollars super chat badge in there. Thank you, Willie, very much. Thank you guys so much for supporting our channel like that. We really appreciate it. All right. With that down, guys, let's move into main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Steve Calderon, who writes, The review embargo for Ghostbusters Afterlife was lifted one month before its release. The movie so far holds a good 86% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Social media reactions, uh, which we all know about, uh, from a surprise early screening at the movie's New York Comic Con panel were also positive. John, since you've already seen the movie at CinemaCon, let's hear your review. What worked and didn't work for you? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yeah, Rob, you might remember, I was telling you about this, that obviously me and Aaron Cummings, we went to the recent CinemaCon in Las Vegas last month. And during the big panel, you know, uh, Jason Reitman and his father, Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman, of course, directed the original Ghostbusters stuff. Mm -hmm. Jason Reitman, his son, who is an incredible director, uh, is directing this new one, Ghostbusters Afterlife, came out. And they talked about the movie. And then they said, and by the way, guys, make sure you don't spoil anything for people because you're watching the movie right now. And everybody in the theater were like, whoa. Did he just say we're going to watch the movie now? It was a nobody expected it. They gave us a total surprise screening of Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I'll be honest with you. I did not know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect from this thing. I was charmed and delighted. Absolutely charmed and delighted. Now, uh, uh, inconsequential. I'm going to give you a couple of inconsequential details, like things that happen right at the beginning of the movie. These aren't big spoilers that ruin the outcome of the film or anything like that. But so basically the movie opens with uh, Egon kind of saving the world. I won't give the details of how kind of saving the world and then disappearing. And now then it fast forwards a number of years later and we see his grandkids. There, there's a brother and a sister, his grandkids. The brother is, a, is played by a, a Wolfhard. I forget his actual name. He was from Finn, Finn Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard. Thank you. Uh, the older brother played by Finn Wolfhard, who's kind of his own guy and his younger sister, who is just like Egon and their mother, who is obviously Egon's daughter. And they end up, as you guys can tell from the trailer, they say this in the trailer, they end up inheriting Egon's old house. And it's this creepy old house, and they go there. And then all of a sudden, strange things start to happen in the town. Uh, obviously, right. Paul Rudd uh, is in the movie as well. And then it leads on. And you guys also can tell from the trailers because you had Dan Aykroyd. I thought it was Bill Murray's voice in the trailer, but it turns out everybody told me it was Dan Aykroyd. It turns out everybody was right. Um, it was Dan Aykroyd. So, you know, you get a little bit of involvement of other Ghostbusters as well in the film. And listen, I just got to tell you, I, I didn't know what to expect. But this movie for me was an extremely pleasant surprise, mm. a really, really pleasant surprise. I smiled with glee through the movie and Aaron Cummings, who saw it with me, was like digging her claws into my arm and crying with happiness and just <laughs> all this like she had a remarkably good time. Now, look, I, without giving any details, away, I'll tell you this, the ending of the film, like the last um, not the last act, because the last act is, is very solid as well, but, but like the ending, like the last 10 minutes of the movie for me, 
kind of comes off the rails a little bit. And I didn't really like the execution of like the last 10 minutes, but I am in the minority. Just be aware of that. I'm in the minority because most of the people that came out of that screening, including Aaron Cummings, love the last 10 minutes. Like love the way it all kind of came together. So for me, the last 10 minutes were shaky, but I'm in the minority. Most other people really like the way it came together at the end. So I guess Rob, it had the heart you wanted to see. It had the right humor you wanted to see. Uh, Paul Rudd is fantastic in this. He's not the lead of the film, but he's completely fantastic. Finn Wolfhard, this is a kid to watch going forward because I always like him in stuff. He knows when to be really awkward and to come across a different way. The The little girl was great. The mom was great. It's just, It's a fun, enjoyable movie. It's not going to end the year in my top five list or anything like that. But to me, this was a win. This was a good, solid win, a really enjoyable Ghostbusters. Rob, you know, where's your expectation level at right now for Ghostbusters? Have you been looking forward to this or what have you been expecting? Well, I have been. I mean, I'm a fan of Jason Reitman, obviously, and I think it's kind of neat that he came to do this. And what I really what I really appreciate, even from the early trailers, is just how different it looks, like a, a whole different approach. I, there's something about the the fact that you're out of the city, you know, you're in a beautiful you're out i guess the country a small town and because to me ghostbusters when i think of ghostbusters i think of it's as much a part of a product of new york as as anything else and that's what's so much fun about it is ghosts in the new york library or ghosts in skyscrapers and flying around the city and all that i thought the choice of moving to moving the location completely going the opposite direction was a great idea and the idea that it's like egon's house and 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 like it's been 30 years so people don't remember the ghostbusters you can watch videos on youtube of their old ads and everyone's like ah, they they were charlatans you know there was never <laughs> any real there was no stay puff marshmallow man you know whatever and it was all just a parade float whatever it is i mean i i so the direction they went in looked good to me and and hearing what you said and hearing the response to others how everyone virtually everybody has said how surprising it was because I am not a fan of Ghostbusters 2. Not a big fan. Um, and I love the original film. So I'm really looking forward to this. Question is for you guys. What do you, well, actually, before I get to that, I should say uh, in our live chat, CJ Chaos in the live chat is asking, do I need to rewatch Ghostbusters 1 and 2? Uh, not that I need an excuse to. Honestly, no. I don't think, I think if you've never seen Ghostbusters 1 or 2, I think you're perfectly fine just going into this movie cold, to be honest with you. I think there will be a few details you'll appreciate more if you watch, if you go back either and watch the original Ghostbusters for the first time or go back and do a rewatch. I think there are going to be some details you pick up more and appreciate a little bit more. But honestly, overall, I think the way Jason Reitman did this movie was done in such a way that I think you'll be perfectly fine even if you never saw the originals. But dude. If you have never seen the original Ghostbusters, yeah, forget the fact that there's a new one. Go watch the original Ghostbusters. I think that's what people would say. Anyway, guys, what are your guys' thoughts on what we're hearing coming out of Ghostbusters? Are you excited about it? Are you afraid it's going to turn into you know the same situation that we had with the last one that came out a couple of years ago? Whatever you guys are feeling, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. 
All right, guys. And I just want to point out here that uh, one of our viewers, AFX Guru, uh, sends in like a $50 Super Chat badge in the live chat. Dude, thank you so much. Clearly, you are you work in the effects industry. That speaks to my heart because I used to work in the visual effects industry. So thanks so much, man, for that. And thanks for supporting our channel, dude, very, very much. Uh, as does Colin uh, McGoldrick sends in a Super Chat badge as well from Canada, my fellow Canadian. By the way, to all my fellow Canadians, uh, happy real Thanksgiving. Happy real Thanksgiving to all my Canadian uh, brethren out there. And thank you for being here uh, as well, Colin. Appreciate that. Okay. With that down, guys, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Blake, who writes, Hey, John, love your channel. Thank you so much, man. And thank you so much for all that you do. Did you see the news that Killian Murphy has been cast in the lead role as J. Robert Oppenheimer in Christopher Nolan's next film titled Oppenheimer? I think this is terrific news since I believe Killian Murphy is not only a very talented but also very underrated actor who doesn't get enough credit. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yeah, of course, we've been talking lately when Rob News came out that Christopher Nolan's next project, and that's the thing all of Hollywood waits on, right? It's like, what's Christopher Nolan's next movie? What's his next movie? When we found out it was going to be based on uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, one of the guys responsible for the creation of the atomic bomb. And when you read a little bit about his life, you know there's, there's some great story to be told there about not only his role and active involvement in, in the creation of the bomb, but then his reaction and his feelings about the fact that he is one of the guys responsible for creating it and all that kind of stuff. There's just a lot of good, rich potential stuff here. Now, mm -hmm. we also know, Rob, that Christopher Nolan is one of these guys who really does enjoy working with actors he's familiar with. I mean, how many times has he gone to Michael Caine? And, oh, yeah. you know, and, and he likes to work and, and obviously Christian Bale. He likes when he finds actors he likes to work with. He likes to go back to them as well. Well, we all obviously know he has worked with Killian Murphy before. And so it wasn't really surprising when we read the news a couple of days ago that Killian Murphy has landed the lead role. Uh, he's going to be playing Oppenheimer himself in Christopher Nolan's new film. A little bit of an unorthodox choice maybe we haven't seen killian murphy do a lot of the big lead roles in a lot of stuff lately although by the way guys he is in a quiet place too that came out earlier this year and i thought he was a fantastic addition to the a quiet place world i thought he was great in that movie uh the fact that christopher nolan obviously already has a shorthand with him. He's familiar with him. He knows what he's going to get out of him. He knows that he's the right guy for this role. I think this all speaks a lot to it. So Rob, sign me up. I think this is great news. You had a chance to hear about this and read about it. What do you think about Killian Murphy playing Oppenheimer? I think, well, obviously, I, I love it when directors have their stable of actors that they return to again and again and again. I think that's always kind of a, it's like their company of players, you know? I think that's a, a great thing. And I like to see the, Obviously, he works with the same actors because he, he knows how good those actors are. And I've always liked Killian Murphy as a performer. I mean, you know, I love uh, Peaky Blinders and um, I'm a huge fan. And so to see to see this and have him cast as Oppenheimer, I, I, I love Dunkirk. You know, I don't know how oh, I love Dunkirk. Gonna, I don't know how he's going to tell the story of this very pivotal mo moment in our history, but I'm there for it, man. I think it's going to be great. Like somebody joked being that Christopher Nolan loves practical effects, is he going to go set off a real nuke? 
<laughs> all right. Uh, that's, I mean, who knows? He just might when you see all the stuff yeah, he did with Interstellar. Like, yeah, we're going to go. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? I think this is a really solid casting choice. Again, a little bit of an orthodox one. You don't see Killian Murphy getting cast in a lot of the big lead roles in a lot of these movies. But Christopher Nolan knows him. He knows what he can do. And he knows he's the right guy for this. How do you guys feel about this? Are you looking forward to this movie? Do you like the casting? However you guys are feeling, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Patreon, one of our Patreon supporters, Ian A. Barth, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, how you doing, Ian? So, No Time to Die opened this weekend to, wait for it, $56 million. Honestly, kind of surprised after Venom's astounding opening weekend. What does this say more about? The current state of the box office? Venom's popularity? Bond's uh, lack thereof or something else very curious to hear what you guys think all right thanks a lot for sending that in man and yes listen james bond no time to die came out this past weekend i had a really really good time with it uh personally myself the critic scores were good the audience scores were good and you started hearing like things like box office pro and a few others coming out and saying this movie could they didn't say it would but they said this movie could hit a hundred million dollars in the opening weekend box office. It had done really well overseas early. Like it was breaking records, Rob, overseas for its thing. But then the the Thursday night preview numbers came out and it was around six something million dollars. And while that's good, I remember thinking at the time, well, that doesn't have it on pace for Venom. And, and it it, it kind of has it a little bit behind, if you look at the way it's, it's rolling out, behind a couple of other things. I don't know that this thing could hit $100 million. Well, sure enough, it didn't hit $100 million. It came significantly below that, around $56 million. Now, this comes just from the folks over at Variety who writes, In light of the ongoing pandemic, assessing initial box office results for No Time to Die isn't as clear-cut. For some movies, especially during the public health crisis, an opening weekend of $56 million worldwide would be cause for great jubilation. But No Time to Die is no ordinary film. It carries a massive $250 million production budget to say nothing of the more than $100 million marketing spent. Add in the tens of millions it costs for the delays. No Time to Die, which is supposed to premiere in April of 2020 before the pandemic altered those plans. So now, Rob, I went back a bit and I saw that, you know, the studio projections for No Time to Die was somewhere, I think, around... 60 to 70 i think was the studio's projections of course there were some of the industry out there like box office pro and others were saying things like this actually could hit 100 million dollars especially in light of how well it did overseas as a matter of fact as of right now no time to die has already made over 300 million worldwide like it's already sitting at 313 million worldwide in other words you know, you take a movie like Free Guy, which has been considered to be a really huge success, and it is. No Time to Die has almost made as much money as Free Guy, and it's just up at this point, up till now. Of course, the big difference is Free Guy did not cost almost $400 million in production, marketing, and uh, late fees, for lack of a better term. The tens of millions it's cost them in interest 
for all the delays and then the bumping of commitments, the reissuing of marketing, all that kind of stuff. I mean, this thing we're probably talking costs 400 plus million dollars at the end of the day. When, when you're looking at the total cost of what it would cost to put this thing out now doing real well overseas, don't want to take any of that away from it. But Rob, you know, some people like yourself have mentioned before, don't underestimate the difference between how popular this character is in a lot of the world versus how popular he is in the U.S. Because he's not nearly as popular. He's very popular. I mean, James Bond is a very popular character in the U.S. film markets, obviously. But he's not as popular here as he is overseas. And while this thing is breaking records in some other territories, and hey, listen, Three months ago, if you're talking about a movie opening with $56 million, given today's circumstances, that actually doesn't sound so bad. But when you knew that the ceiling for this was higher, the potential for this was higher, especially with the fact that it did, well, there are uh, critics and some fans that didn't like it. The majority of the critics are giving it positive reviews. The It's got like a 90% audience rating now in Rotten Tomatoes. There was pretty good word of mouth. It was still not able to kind of hit that stride. 300 plus million worldwide, pretty good right now for its start. But it is disappointing when you see what it got here. Rob, as you look at these numbers coming in, how do you feel about the worldwide totals and why do you think this movie is doing so much better in other markets than it is here? Well, if you look at, okay, I I pulled up on Box Office Mojo, the former box office for both Skyfall and for Spectre. Uh, for Skyfall, 27.5% of its worldwide gross was made in the United States, and only 22.7% Spectre made domestically, whereas Skyfall, 72.5% was made internationally. And I, I just think, you know, the Bond franchise is, it's not a franchise that the kids are looking forward to, John, whereas Venom is. You know, Bond is an aging franchise. It's been around since 1962. And it traditionally brings in older audiences. I think, frankly, there's a lot of people that didn't go to the movies to see this because there's the traditional demographic for Bond films. A lot of them are still uncomfortable going to theaters. I think that's one aspect of it. Two, I've said before, the movie is the longest Bond film, so yes. less showings per day. Um, but ultimately, we 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 shall see. I mean... Skyfall made $300 million domestically. Uh, Spectre made $200 million domestically here. Uh, it doesn't look like No Time to Die is going to be able to reach either one of those heights, but we we shall see. Um, it's certainly not that it's it's not a good movie because it's very handsomely mounted. And and uh, while I had problems with it, it's it was certainly a, a good time at the movies. I mean, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, it's certainly epic in scope and feel. Um, but I do think that probably the reason it didn't do as much business is that that the audience for Bond movies skews a little older and people just didn't turn out the way they have in the past. You know, it's funny. Somebody wrote into me prior to the weekend and, and asked a question. They said, you know, do you think the fact that it skews the audience for Bond skews a little bit older, whereas something like Venom may skew younger will yeah. hurt Bond? And I said, maybe. And I said, but but there's an alternate way of looking at that. I said, you know, what we're seeing, the reason a lot of the animated films aren't going to theaters right now is because they think a lot of parents are, while parents may be willing to go to the theaters, they're hesitant to bring their kids into crowded places right now. And I said, so maybe the fact that Bond does skew towards an older audience, maybe it'll help it. 
I mean, obviously that wasn't true. I mean, clearly that wasn't true. Uh, at the, but I did say that at the beginning of the week. I said, I don't know, maybe the fact that it skews older might help it. And, and clearly it didn't. So, uh, so there's that. It's going to be interesting to see what, if any kind of legs, this will have moving forward. Um, internationally, the legs have been incredible. We've been seeing things like only 20 to 30% drops in international markets and stuff like that, which is great. It's going to be interesting to see how that handles here because you don't have Dune opening next weekend. So that's working in its favor. You do have films like The Last Duel, which I already got my tickets for. Very excited about that. Um, but it doesn't have a major blockbuster to contend with next weekend that I can remember. So it should have the potential to do some good repeat business, maybe. But Rob, to your point, the length of this film may hinder some repeat business. I mean, the fact that it is well north of two and a half hours, that could hurt or it could help. I mean, I don't know, but it is a little bit surprising. Again, not anywhere near what some of the industry are projecting to be a hundred million. I kind of bought into it because, you know, I've been guessing low on a lot of the box office numbers. And so when they start saying, you know, this thing could hit a hundred million, I bought into it. I was like, okay, yeah, I, I believe it. Of course it didn't. So it's, but it did come closer to what the studios themselves were projecting. Again, they were projecting around $60 million. So I guess that was more realistic, but still it's going to be interesting to see. Rob, let me ask you this. How do you mm. think the legs on this are going to do? Like what do you, what kind of, obviously you want, when you're a movie like this, you want to see a 50 to 60% drop. Lower would be even better. Higher is worrisome. There's not a major blockbuster next weekend for it to contend with. How do you think this movie's going to fare in its second weekend? I think it'll probably do pretty good because a lot of people have really enjoyed the film. And I think, you know, if you're going to go back to uh, the theater, I think that this movie does provide a great theater going experience. The same with Dune. It makes you realize, wow, because I, you know, I saw this at the Chinese and IMAX and it certainly was a lot of fun to watch. And it's definitely a, a, a theater. It's, you want to see this movie in theaters the same way. I can't stress enough that people really should see Dune in the biggest theater possible because it truly is an experience. And this No Time to Die had a little bit of that as well. There's an epic scope to this movie that I think really people will go see it. And um, I think that they will be satisfied having seen it in a theater at a, at a good theater. So it provides it gives good theater experience, John. So I would say I hope it does well. It's second weekend. I mean, I hope that people it has good word of mouth and that it travels. I think a lot of people I've talked to, I I was particularly hard on it myself, but a lot of people have told me how much they liked the movie, which is great. Well, then that's the beauty of film, man. Everybody has different experiences with it. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Were you surprised by the opening weekend numbers? Again, by a lot of accounts, $56 million is great. Hooray. For me, I thought this ceiling was much higher, especially when you look at how well it's doing overseas. Why do you think it does so much better in other markets than it does here? Whatever you guys are feeling about this, jump down into the comment section below. And let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's spend the rest of our time here taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to fire in a comment or question to be read on this show or an upcoming companion video, simply go down to the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on that or again, enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on a show, of course, if it's appropriate for our show. And of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time and all of us involved with the show. Thank you guys so much for your support. All right. 
With that down, let's get into your questions here, guys. And we're going to start things off here with Marie Seifring, who writes, Hey, John, behind Blue Eyes is the Who song. No one knows what it's like to be the sad man, to be the bad man behind Blue Eyes. Limp Biscuit did a cover of it. I remember I recognized the Limp Biscuit cover of it. I thought being both sad and bad fit Loki. Thanks. Yeah, for some reason, Rob, a bunch of people have been sitting, uh, sending in songs that they thought would be great theme music because somebody wrote in and said hey you know the immigrant song is the song for thor so what's the song for loki we've been having a bunch of people write in and marie seifring is saying behind blue eyes i'm not familiar with the original who version of it are you me yeah are you familiar with that Who? okay that's i'm a huge who fan um no it's it's one of their great you know it's it's more like a a ballad you know and it's it's uh it's a great song all right great yeah, you, you, you don't know that song? You, the I, song and dance man? I'm more into the Guess Who, you know, the, the, the uh, Canadian version. A little bit more of the Guess because they're Canadian. No, it's, right. John, listen to it. It's, I mean, it's classic Who. I, I, I uh, uh, you know what? I bet you, if you listen to it, you'll be like, oh, I've heard this song because it is. Probably. Yeah, it's really good. All right. Next up, we go to uh, Craig, who tipped in like $50. Thank you, Craig, for supporting our channel on that level, dude. Very, very grateful for that. Thank you so much. And Craig writes, hello, John and Rob. I take pleasure in listening to the shows daily. Thank you so much. Question. With it seeming like Sony and Marvel ushering Spider-Man back to Sony, allegedly, who do you and Rob see uh, both see as the next leaders of the MCU, a la Stark and Rogers? Well... That's a good question, Rob. I mean, it's, yeah. it comes up a lot because obviously it's not just the leaders of the Avengers. The faces of the MCU itself has been Steve Rogers and Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. They've been the faces of this whole thing. So not only they look, he's like, okay, so who's going to kind of be a de facto leader of the team? Who's going to be the face of the franchise? Now, I think that becomes complicated, Rob, because... In the in the movies, I think you could see a couple of characters taking on leadership roles. One, obviously, Captain Marvel could be one of them, military captain, all that kind of stuff. One of the, if not the most powerful character they have in their universe, blah, blah, blah. Doctor Strange, As, especially if you watch What If, you get a good sense of how the people at Marvel feel about Stephen Strange. Uh, and he maybe he could be that figure. If you've watched Shang-Chi... It also kind of looks like Wong might kind of be a leader of sorts, you know, that he's pulling people in and coordinating things and blah, blah. So, I I mean, that's a possibility as well. So I could see it being Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel. That that's why I could see kind of ending ending up leading the new whatever version of the Avengers we get. But, Rob, who can be the face of the franchise? That's that because I don't know that. Benedict Cumberbatch, and I'm a huge Benedict fan, love Benedict, but I I don't know that he's the face of the franchise. Brie Larson, Academy Award winning actress, I don't know she's the face of the franchise because Marvel's got to fill both those sets of shoes. They got to fill who's kind of the leader of the Avengers, but they also got to fill those very, very large shoes left behind by Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans as who's kind of the face of the franchise. Rob, let me put it to you. Who do you see as the characters maybe best suited to be the leader of the Avengers moving forward? And 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 could it be the same people that become the face of the franchise or does that need to be somebody else? That's a tough call, you know, because I, I love Benedict Cumberbatch and I love Doctor Strange, but I don't know if he's the right guy to lead 
the Avengers. He's kind of like, I like him more in a supporting role. Mm. I could see, you know, I could really see that Thor, depending on what happens in Love and Thunder, that Thor finds himself in a place that's uncomfortable where he he has to step up and lead. And I could see that there could be a lot of storylines there where Thor has to temper his, I'm going to have a bit of fun with also the responsibility of leadership, which is something that has sort of eluded him. And I could see that it would be really interesting to see how that could play out. Or, I mean, to be honest, John, I think it's got to be Reed Richards. I mean, mm. when he's introduced... Reed Richards would be the person I think would be the obvious person to step up and lead the MCU. And of course he's not an Avenger. He's in the fantastic four, but in terms of representing the group dynamic, um, maybe him. Well, just, we haven't seen him yet. So, well, and, and are we overlooking the obvious? I mean, uh, uh, Rob Stark, uh, what's the actor's name again? Uh, Rob Stark. Um, uh, uh, Richard Madden. Rich, Richard Madden. I mean, it, who does he play? He's playing Icarus, right? Isn't yeah, he playing? Yeah. So, and he looks I mean, great as Icarus. And, hey, doesn't he say, well, I'll lead the Avengers? Yeah. I mean, it's all right. So, <laughs> he does. <laughs> and by the way, did you see the new Eternal spot where they go, Eternals assemble? Yep. <laughs> I thought yes, that was I fun. Did. I thought that was really fun. So I don't know. It's a, it's a good question, actually. You know, let me ask you guys, guys, just in the live chat, I would love to hear your thoughts. Like, who... Let's put who could lead the Avengers, because you're right, Rob. Uh, Thor is one that should be up there. Thor is absolutely one who should be up there. So Thor, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, to me, those are the front runners. Reed Richards, he's going to be a new addition to the world, though. So, I mean, I don't know. Then, of course, at some point, we're going to have a Professor Charles Xavier. Maybe that. I don't know. A lot of people are saying Sam. I, I can't see Sam Wilson. I mean, he literally has just spent the last seven years in the MCU as a sidekick. I, so I can't see him being the leader of the Avengers. I just don't see people. Uh, I just don't see them doing that yet for that character. Maybe that character needs a whole bunch of years with the shield in his hand. So I, I mean, I don't know. So I don't think it's going to be Sam, but uh, some people think banner. I don't see banner as a leader. Some people, some people in the live chat are saying Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> somebody, oh, their name were rolled off the screen. I'm sorry for them if I miss your name. Somebody just put Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff as the leader of the Avengers. Uh, that one's there too. So I know a lot of possibilities. By the way, our friend Sneaker Bros uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Sneaker Bros. All right, let's keep moving on here. Thanks for sending that in, Craig. All right, next up. Jabin Carter writes, John, did you see the Wheel of Time trailer? I did. Uh, the show comes out very soon. I read the first five books, but never finished the series. So I'm in a unique position where I have some preconceived ideas from the books, but don't know how it should end. Yeah, I did. Rob, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't. Uh, the, the trailer for it didn't get me excited for the show. Like, to me, it reminded me a lot of the first trailer for Dune. Because remember that first trailer for Dune? And it was like, this seems like a trailer that is specifically designed for people who already know Dune. It's like a little insider thing, right? And then later trailers looked more wide appealing. That trailer for Wheel of Time to me kind of looked like this is specifically made. So if you already know the entire story, you'll get a kick out of this. But I think for some other people like myself, I watched it. I didn't get a lot out of it. I don't know. What did you think of it? 
Well, that's the thing. I, <clears throat> I have a, uh, one of my viewers is a huge Wheel of Time fan, so I've been kept appraised of the development and the production of the series. But again, I and he even sent me the first book to read, and um, I just don't know. I haven't quite wrapped my head around what it's actually about. You know, I mean, are they fighting great evil? Is Sauron coming to Middle Earth with another ring of power? Like what? Like what? What is happening? I don't know. I'm intrigued by it, but I, I again, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm unaware of what the storyline is. And I like the trailer intrigued me, but beyond generic fantasy kind of things, what is it about Wheel of Time? Because the man, the fan base of Wheel of Time, time is hugely passionate. And um, man, they know their stuff. These are these are fanatics, truly. And I appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to delving into what makes Wheel of Time so Wheel of Timey. So Wheel of Time ish. I can't. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. But I again, I don't have a sense of what is it about. What is the Wheel of Time? Yeah, so hopefully future, the upcoming marketing, further marketing. Like I said, I felt like this trailer was targeted for people who already know it. Let's see what happens once they get other marketing going that's that's designed to get people hooked into it. All right, next up, we got Mephisto, or Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, hope all is well. All is well, thank you. This Agatha spinoff sounds awesome if it happens. Uh, I wouldn't want a prequel, but I would be happy either way. Also, over under one day of officially announcing green lit... Uh, we get Mephisto is coming any day or night, right? Your thoughts. Yeah, obviously Mephisto coming anytime now. A full Mephisto show coming anytime now. Uh, but yeah, listen, I, Rob, you know me. I'm usually, I don't want prequel stories. I want stories that move forward, right? That's what I generally want. There are some exceptions to that that I have enjoyed, but I generally want stories to move forward. So with the Agatha spinoff, I hope it picks up where we last saw her at the end of WandaVision. That's where I hope it picks up. But the nature of the character of Agatha, I, I will confess I'm not completely opposed to the idea of the story going back and getting the whole backstory with her and her mother, what led her on the path she's on, or maybe picking it up since Salem and all that kind of stuff. So I would prefer the movie, the, the story to move forward with the series, but I'm okay with it if they decide to do a prequel. Where do you think they're going to go with Agatha? Oh, she should leave the Avengers, dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, look, what I would like to see is an examination. Obviously, we're going to get Blade, but I think there's a way to delve in. I want to know about the history of the supernatural in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Obviously, we in WandaVision showed us her in the 16th century. So maybe they're going to go into uh, go into a historical series like tell us about the history of sorcerers in the for the last four or five hundred years. Where where did that begin? And and uh, I think that'd be a really great way to um to to look into that kind of thing. All right. Um. So <laughs> I, that's right. That's what I want out of it. Uh, an examination into the roots of the supernatural in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That could be, I mean, because something like that could shed more light on Wanda. It could shed more light on Stephen Strange. It could shed a lot. Of, I mean, that could work. That could work. Uh, by the way, our friend Blade, uh, Blade you know, yep. <clears throat> that, that would work too. All right. Our friend Irving sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Irving. Appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, we've got... 
Uh, that was Mephisto. Next up is an anonymous viewer who tips in like $20. Thank you, anonymous viewer, so much. Uh, hi, John. I owe you an apology. The last time I compared Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings to King to Kung Fu Panda, LOL. I did not mean to take the piss, English expression. Uh, it is just that I was uh, expecting more gra- more grounded movie. By the way, Kung Fu Panda, Panda movies are great. Well, listen, dude, I don't remember the original message, but if all you're saying is you kind of prefer one thing to another, you don't need to apologize for that, man. We all have our different interpretations and experiences with movies, and yours is yours, so no need to apologize, dude, but it's very considerate of you to write that nonetheless. And yes, the Kung Fu Panda movies, I wasn't huge on the last one, to be honest with you, but the first two Kung Fu Panda movies, I find completely delightful. I really do like those films. All right. Enrique writes, Hi, John Campia crew. Could this Agatha show be the first MCU solo villain story? Uh, I would like to see more MCU solo villain stories. Sony is already doing this. Well, are they, though? <laughs> uh, Sony's already doing this, and DC already has quite a few. Uh, Suicide Squad, Joker, Harley. I think a solo Magneto or Doctor Doom would be cool. Well, I mean, here's the thing. The... The MCU hasn't done it yet, and DC hasn't really done it yet either, except for the Joker movie. See, Suicide Squad, were they were heroic in it, right? They were they were doing the work of heroes. Um, also, Harley, yeah, she's been a villain, but they portray her in a you know more in a heroic role, uh, the more the misunderstood hero right we haven't yet seen other than joker which is really more of an origin genesis kind of story but set a joker aside for a second we really haven't one that is about the bad guy being the bad guy that we haven't seen and rob even if they do doing an agatha series when you go back and watch wandavision I never really got the impression from WandaVision that Wanda was just straight up evil or that uh, Agatha was just straight up evil. I, no. Like, and so I'm not even certain that if they do this Agatha series, it's a story about the bad guy. Because remember, when I say a show about the bad guy, I mean the bad guy being a bad guy. Not uh, someone we've known as a bad guy now actually seeing there's more layers to them and deep down they can actually be quite heroic which is what we normally get with this stuff so i think they'll probably take that approach with wanda i don't think we'll if we see this show of hers i don't think we're going to see her out to conquer the world or anything like that i don't know rob what do you think about that i i like the idea that you know witches or sorceresses or whatever have been reviled throughout history you know, misunderstood, maybe um, burned at the stake even. And I think that if anything, she'd be an anti-hero instead of a villain, right. per se. Yeah. And that's why I think delving into her past could be really interesting because, you know, we have Moon Knight coming up. Moon Knight is a character that interacted with Werewolf by Night, who is another good character from the Marvel Universe. So even though Moon Knight's more of a gritty hero that later they they delved into his schizophrenia, but when he first started out, he was more street level batman but he still had supernatural connections and then we've got blade coming and i think that agatha i don't see her as a villain so much as she was she was involved with wanda to see what the heck's going on here i mean this wanda maximoff is a hugely powerful sorceress and agatha with their hundreds of years of history had to find out what's going on you know i've never seen this kind of manifestation of power 
And while, of course, you want to manipulate that kind of thing, I never got the sense that she's some planetary destroying threat. You know, she's got her own agenda and wants to do her own thing. But I, I think that um, doing a show and delving into that history would be really, really good, but not necessarily the show about a villain per se. Now, I, I should I should correct myself a little bit there. I mean, Wanda did kill the dog. She killed the dog. <laughs> there's nothing. There's no bigger sign to the audience that this is an unscrupulous person than when they kill the dog. All right. Uh, next up, we got Jody H who writes. Uh, looks like I picked the wrong day, the wrong time to stop stop sniffing glue. That is what is Jeff Bridges and Bo Bridges' dad's name again? Lloyd? Is it Lloyd Bridges? Yeah, Lloyd Bridges. That's Lloyd Bridges from Airplane, is it not? It's looks right. like I picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue. Yep. We yep. were just talking about, oh, guys, please tell me some of you went out and watched Airplane this weekend. You <laughs> gotta watch Airplane. It's so good. Okay, uh, next up, uh, Ben Rayner writes, Hi, John. Buy one, lose one, rent one. Young Frankenstein, airplane, speaking of airplane, or naked gun. Notice my favorite is airplane or young Frankenstein. Uh, notice I didn't say space balls because I didn't want a cop-out answer. LOL, have a good day. Um, I like naked gun. I do. I don't like it as much as most people, although I do think is great. Good Canadian kid, Leslie Nielsen, of course, leading that. But uh, I would buy airplane, rent young Frankenstein, which is also awesome, and lose naked gun. Rob, let's put it to you. Uh, Frankenstein, young Frankenstein, airplane or naked gun, buy one, rent one, lose one. How do you uh, work oh that one out? God. Dude, that is a tough one. Um, I... I got to go with, was it buy? I'm going to buy Airplane. I'm going to rent Young Frankenstein, and I'm going to lose Naked Gun. All right, so same as me. Yeah, and only because it's not like Naked Gun isn't great, and I love that it's a send-up of cops, but it really is, it's the same sensibility as Airplane. It's the same filmmakers. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to preserve Mel Brooks. <laughs> Although I got to say, even though I'm putting Naked Gun on my sell list or, or lose list. One of the greatest lines ever, Leslie Nielsen, nice beaver. If you have to have seen the movie to know the <laughs> reference, nice beaver. It's just, it, I, I just remember that still cracks me up when I see that it still cracks me up. Uh, okay. Next up. Uh, we go to Mike T who writes, uh, buy one, rent one, lose one into the spider verse. Shang-Chi man of steel. Uh, I'm going to take a pass on that one. I'm going to take a pass on that. Uh, those are three spectacular movies that I love dearly. So uh, I'm, I'm, I opt not to play Mike T. I opt not to play. Rob, do you want to take a crack at it? I, I'm, I'm opting out of this one. But do you uh, want to? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if I should jump into this. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to stay out of that one because these are three very, very special movies to my heart. So I'm not going to do that. All right. Uh, Payne 141 writes, F Nate, have a nice day. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Ted Lasso. Dude, I, Rob, I put up on Twitter the other day. This was before the finale. Yeah. And I said, I can't believe that I'm going to say this about any character on the show, Ted Lasso. But in the finale, I want somebody to fucking kill Nate. I want Nate to die. I want somebody to kill Nate. And I was really hoping it was going to be Roy. I was really hoping Roy was going to literally <laughs> kill Nate. But that's just how special this show is that when somebody, when one of the characters 
you know, acts a certain way, you just want them to die. And I want Nate to die straight up. I want that character to be straight up murdered. All right. Anyway, which says a lot about how good the the show Ted Lasso is. Anyway, next up, uh, let's see. Aaron R. writes. No Time to Die is now my favorite Bond film of all time. Uh, not only did it have incredible action and fun, it was also one of the first times I ever felt real legitimate emotion in a Bond film too. that ending. Well, I mean, it's I really like No Time to Die. I had a very good time with it. I, I wouldn't say not, not only is it not my favorite Bond film of all time, it's not even my favorite Daniel Craig Bond film. Like I still personally put Casino Royale and Skyfall ahead of it. But definitely, I put it years ahead of Quantum of Solace and Spectre. Uh, I had a really good time in it. But you're right. Like, especially when you get into the third act of the film, no, no, um, no spoilers here. But Bond is faced with a couple of circumstances that really made me feel a certain kinds of emotions that I'm not accustomed to having in a Bond film. I'll just say that. I'm just not accustomed to having a Bond film. So it was a little bit unique on that level, but... Hey, man, if you liked it that much and it's your all-time favorite, awesome. Uh, I enjoyed it, too. Not quite my favorite, though, but I, I did have a good time. So I'm glad you liked it that much, Aaron. All right, next up, Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, Expendables 4 is officially filming. It got actors from uh, the Dolph Lundgren, Schwarzenegger. I want to see 80s action stars be on... I want to see 80s action stars be on that movie like Don the Dragon Wilson, Cynthia Rothrock, uh, Shokasagi, Carl Weathers, Chow Yun-Fat. Who would you like to be in it? I honestly don't have any list of who I need to see in anymore. Those are obviously really good ones. Carl Weathers is a great name. That's a really good one. But Rob, for me, you know my love of early 80s ninja movies. And you cannot be a fan of early 80s ninja movies and not know the name Shokasagi. Shokasagi was the man. I, I felt like when I was a kid, like every ninja movie I saw, I felt like it had Shokasagi in it. So All, all the canon movies. You know? I would love to see that. But Carl Weathers is a good name in there, too. Uh, Wilson was a good name. Do you got anybody else? Well, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't talk about that when we talked about Expendables the other day. Do you have anybody that you'd love to see pop up in Expendables film still that we well, haven't seen I mean, there yet? I, I still love Chow Yun-Fat because of, you know, the all the John Woo movies, specifically things like The Killer and Hard Boiled. Uh, and Tony Lung, I like Tony Lung too, but I don't. He's I consider him more of a romantic figure, unlike Chow Yun Fat, who just completely kicks ass. But um, you know, uh, no, I mean, there's not anybody that comes to mind that they haven't already sort of tapped. You know, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but these are some good names. These are some good names. All right, uh, let's see. Next up. Uh, we've got uh, also Dangerous D. Hey, John, with the success of Squid Games and Good Doctor, a Korean drama that was made into an American series, why hasn't other streaming services, HBO Max, Hulu, Disney, do invest in Korean shows like Netflix did? It seems to be their shows have internal appeal. Well, I mean, you also got to be careful. Squid Game is great. Squid Game is great. But that doesn't mean... Every Korean show then is going to be a big, massive hit and have huge, wide cultural appeal, right? We as an audience tend to do that, Rob. We like we like we see one thing work and we go, everything should do that. Everything should do that. It's that always works. And that's not the case. Listen, even Rob, you know, we were talking the other day about the story that the guy who created Squid Game and made it, it took him 10 years to get that 
you know, greenlit and made and picked up by somebody. It took a long time because there's a, there's also a lot of crap out there. So yes, Squid Game is great. I enjoyed it very much. I, I binged all nine episodes in three days. But that doesn't just mean like, well, now everybody should pick up Korean shows. There is some really good stuff out there, by the way. There is. You know, Kingdom and a bunch of other things. But just because some one a couple of things work, that doesn't mean everything automatically is going to be gold. I know, Rob, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, do... I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I don't. How do I say? It? How do How do I say this? I don't. I don't quite know. I'd have to gather my thoughts on this one, John. Is, is um, there any? Is there any one particular Korean property out there that's either on Netflix or or uh, or? Well, I mean, look, right now? I, I think the, some of the most vibrant films, cer- certainly genre movies. I think about whether it's Train to Busan, whether it's I Saw the Devil, whether it's I, I mean, the, even The Host or Memories of Murder that Bong Joon Ho. Uh, directed there there's some incredible korean films being made and the fact that now we're in the midst of a korean series that has taken the world literally taken the whole planet by storm um to me is very exciting because i i'm a big fan i mean i'm a big fan of asian movies and i've been watching asian cinema for decades and to see i mean we've seen shows like from korea like the kingdom you know, so good. Zom- yeah, really a period good. zombie show. And and I think what I love about this is that audiences are realizing and, and I have to say, God bless Netflix for bringing us quality entertainment from around the world that I think a lot of people wouldn't have normally delved into. So I, I, I feel really for what was the original question? <laughs> I mean, I mean I feel- like, well, they're asking, like, with the success of Squid Game, why aren't the other streamers like HBO Max and others? Picking up more Korean shows. I, I think I, it's a very good question. I think that they will start to do that. But like, you know, not every show is a squid game because squid game has an irresistible, you know, it's following up on things like the running man or hunger games or battle Royale. And I, I think that a lot of people were not looking to these shows yet. Now, of course, with, I mean, there've been Netflix has been around with great uh, Asian content for years now. And and people, you haven't seen other streamers pick up more stuff, but they've done a really good job. Whether it's Money Heist, whether it's um, this dark, uh, there's all, all dark from Germany. Um, they, I think, other people are going to start really looking at these kinds of shows because John, I think there was a prejudice. You know, we have American audiences. We 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 don't watch a lot of foreign stuff, and I think I think. When a show like Squid Game comes along, it changes the metrics for everybody. And I think from now on, no one's going to sleep on. Because, dude, there's a lot of, like, Korean soap operas and things I don't think international audiences are going to suddenly embrace. Although there's a few that they will. Um, but I think Squid Game shows that there is, there is, there is great entertainment to be found across the globe. I would also say that if I might, it's not about Korean entertainment, but there's another great a show called um, The Chestnut, The Chestnut Man? Chestnut Man. Chestnut Man from Denmark. And it's a crime thriller, another knockout show. And again, a show I wouldn't have seen if it wasn't for Netflix. All right. Next up, we got uh, Ismail Montoya who writes, Hey, John, I totally agree with Rob. Well, that's right away. Your sentence starts off wrong. 
That's a totally wrong way to start a sentence. Hey, hey John, I totally agree with Rob about 007. I felt the same way about his comments. Craig seemed that he didn't want to be in the film, and because of that attitude, it affected the content of the film, leaving me confused in some parts of the film. Well, I think, you know, what you're saying there, Ismail, is kind of reflective. There are, there are people that, you know, No Time to Die didn't work for, and there are people, because we serve from somebody who says it's our favorite film, Bond film of all time, and this one didn't work for me. I think that's totally fine. I mean, Rob, I never got the sense that Daniel Craig never wanted to be Bond. I also, I just felt like, especially in No Time to Die, I kind yeah, of, no, I, I don't want to get into spoilers, but it's like, you're you're looking at a Bond who's at the end of his career, who has had these, who has, who has lost a lot, who has lost a lot, because not a lot of the other Bond films, Rob, I think you and I talked about this before, and I think we agree on this, that when you look at a lot of the other Bond films, they are very much episodic chapters i mean they're just kind of one-shot stories here we go the bond films are really the first time that they kind of connected them as one through story that this is the same bond who we saw 15 years ago killing his making his first two kills at the beginning of uh, casino royale and now he's a guy who has loved a lot he's lost a lot um he's felt you know, he's had to save the world. He's felt betrayed. He's felt all that kind of stuff. So it brings a different thing to it. But I think for some people, uh, I mean, that just doesn't work when you go in and watch a Bond movie because you're you're looking for something else in those films. And I think that's what Ismail's pointing out there. How would you respond to what Ismail's saying there? Well, I I wanted to say that that um, it isn't that Daniel Craig didn't like playing Bond. It's that after Casino Royale, James Bond didn't like being James Bond because the stories never gave us. James Bond is clearly having a great time being James Bond in Casino Royale. He's got a wry smile when he when he kills that bent station chief at the beginning, fulfilling his two kill minimum where he gets his double O status. He's having a good time. Throughout that whole movie, he's having a good time. He sees a woman. He knows that the husband of the person that he, he's stalking is her. That's his wife, but he has no hesitation because she's incredibly beautiful. And he he beds down with her, and he doesn't care. He loves being James Bond. And then after Quantum of Solace, you you find Skyfall, and he's like, he's he's a different guy, you know. And he's like at the end of his career, and we've never seen Bond a full-on James Bond at the height of his powers in the Daniel Craig run, go out on a mission-based thing where he goes into M's office and M says, well, Bond, here's what we need you to go investigate. And, and it was already, Skyfall starts at the end of some mission. He gets shot off a, a train, and then he winds up like drinking himself to death in a bar somewhere while the mission is still not completed. You know, and they're like, well, what the hell is he doing there? What, 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 that's, what, that's not what Bond does. And so we've got three movies, Skyfall, uh, Spectre and now No Time to Die where Bond is kind of I don't like being James Bond I'm, 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 I'm sad and I, I thought that was kind of an odd choice for the character now it's kind of true to the Fleming novels but I just I, I, I wanted James Bond was my escapist entertainment growing up and I, I wanted a little bit more escapism and joie de vivre from the Craig run as Bond the same way we got in Casino Royale that's all all right, next up, well, that was this mail. We got Gabe Banker, or Baker, who writes, a few technical details I love about Ted Lasso. Season two has 12 episodes, two more than season one. And from episode eight on in season two, the runtimes jump from 30 to 35 minutes to 45 minutes. Yes, to longer seasons and longer episodes. Yes, to this show, be a goldfish. Yeah, I noticed that too, especially when I loaded up the season finale and I noticed, oh my gosh, this seems like 50-something minutes. And... 
I love that. So I, I mean, yes, yes to longer seasons. Yes to longer episodes. I am all about that stuff. All right. Next up. Suthius writes, do you gents keep up with hot ones? Now, I'll watch the odd one, but I don't really keep up with it. Um, recent victim of the wings was John Bernthal. Host Sean Evans does a great job with his unique questions. Apparently, Bernthal is very active with dog rescue and has shut down dog fighting kennels in the past. Well, I love John Bernthal. Uh, one of the interesting things, I could be wrong about this, Um Rob, do you remember back when I was still like running Collider and AMC? I, we had hired that one one of our hosts, Natasha, mm. um, and Natasha. We we brought her on and stuff like that. I believe Natasha. I have to double check, but I think Natasha is actually dating Sean Evans from Hot Ones. I think they've been actually dating for a while. I could be wrong about that, but I have to go back and, and check that. But no, I think the the concept of Hot Ones is such a great idea. I love it. It's such a great idea. Now, I don't watch it on a regular basis, but everyone, like every six months or so, they'll have a certain guest on that I really do want to check out and I'll go and watch it for sure because it is such a terrific idea. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got uh, Fanimator who writes, what are your top 10 favorite comic book movies? I'm not going to sit here and do a top 10. Uh, mine are number one, Joker, two, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, three, The Dark Knight, four, Avengers Infinity War, five, Winter Soldier, six, Shang-Chi, seven, Zack Snyder's Justice League, eight, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man 2, number nine, Avengers, number 10, Avengers Endgame. Well, I won't sit here and do a top 10, but I will tell you always what I've always said are my top three, because I always say this. It's me in the top three spots to me the greatest three comic book movies ever made are avengers uh the dark knight and logan i i just think those are the three best comic book movies ever made so i'm not gonna sit here and do a top 10 but i will remind you of that rob do you do you have a couple of ones that are your like top favorites well i mean the obvious of superman the movie i love infinity war and endgame and of course many of the marvel uh i, I think people forget the crow is one of my favorite comic book movies um i really like the first blade although i don't know if i would put it in there um but yeah i like you know i think the first wonder woman is really good too oh i, I love the first one it's not my top i don't know if i have in my top 10 but i love that first yeah, movie all right too. Uh, by the way uh dat boy 22 uh sends in a super chat badge live chat thank you man all right dangerous d writes Hey, John, I have a Chromebook. I love Chromebooks, by the way. I, I mean, I they, for for cheap little computers, they run so efficiently and they're so handy and so useful. I love Chromebooks. Anyway, I have a, a Chromebook uh, that's out of date. I could buy one, but I want to keep this laptop. So I'm thinking of changing the OS to another to another like Ubuntu or Linux. Well, just so you know, Ubuntu is Linux. It's, it's just like there's a lot of different distros of Linux, but they are all are all Linux. Ubuntu is Linux, just so you know. Anyway, have you ever tried this on a laptop that you had and didn't uh, want to replace or couldn't afford to? Yes, I did. I had an old HP laptop. It might have been the first laptop I ever owned, actually. Um, I had this old HP laptop and it just it was just chugging along too much on Windows anymore. So. I had enough people recommend try installing a Linux distro on it. And so I put Linux on it. It might have been Ubuntu, by the way. It might have been in the Ubuntu distro. And it really did make it feel like a new computer again. I mean, Linux is very, very different from Windows, but it's becoming more familiar. But I would say this. Chrome is going to run better than Linux will on that machine. 
Chrome is such a lightweight, light system intensive um, operating system. It's going to, I believe it will run better on it than Linux will. So if you're looking to get better performance out of this laptop, I don't think Linux is going to do it for you because again, Chrome is just so lightweight as it is. Um, so yeah, that's my recommendation. I, I would say just make sure you've updated Chrome. Make sure you go to the top, go look for updates, make sure it's all updated. And I, I think you'll be good to go. But I, I do love Chromebooks. I really do. All right. Uh, by the way, our friend BK Dan sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, BK. All right. Next up, uh, BK writes. John, have you seen or heard anything about anything official social media accounts for Doctor Who have been disabled as of the 8th of October? Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube as well. What are your and Rob's thoughts and theories? Well, I mean, as you guys know, I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't follow anything regarding Doctor Who whatsoever. So, no, I've not heard of that. I have no idea. The only thing I can imagine as a brand is that they're probably getting ready to do a large uh, rebranding of sorts. So they probably pull all the other stuff down. But honestly, I have no idea. Rob, have you heard anything about this, about Doctor Who's, Facebook's, YouTube channels, uh, Twitter's being pulled you down? No, I, I haven't caught up with what the next, you know, other than the fact that they're bringing Russell Davies back. And I'm a fan of his writing. Even even Torchwood, um, Children of Earth, I think is one of the greatest five hours of science fiction television ever. But I would say that uh, I was not a fan of the Chris Chibnall era, era of Doctor Who. I think Jodie Whittaker deserved better. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. Next up, uh, BK Dan also writes, John, I agree with Rob's tin hat theory, and it is a tin hat theory, about John Carter being squashed by Bob Iger as a let's not give George Lucas any capital reason to say no. Or not, we're not going to relitigate the whole debate. We will just say, all right, BK, thank you for sharing your opinion on that, because we're not going to relitigate that whole damn thing. All right. Rob Gableman writes, Last night, I got to see Ghostbusters Afterlife at New York Comic Con, and as a lifelong fan of the franchise, this is everything I ever wanted and more out of a new movie. I think this is going to be a huge success for Sony. Box office predictions. Thanks, John. Well, listen, as we found, Rob, box office predictions right now are really, really tough because it's such an unusual yeah. time. It's yep. such an unusual time. So. I have none. I, I look. I, I don't think it's going to be like a hundred million dollar opening or anything. But other than that, I, I have no guess. Fifty, maybe, maybe fifty, depending on on how hard they do uh, their final stretch marketing push. Um, I don't know. But but honestly, don't hold me to that fifty either. I, I that's that's hardly a guess. I don't know, Rob. Do you have anything? I don't know, man. I, I mean, it's hard to say. It 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 really is. I don't have a sense really until. I don't know. I, I would have thought, look, I would have thought No Time to Die would have made more money than it did. I would have thought Venom would have made less. So I don't know. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Next up. Uh, why am I frozen on this? Okay. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Nate Dog who writes, one of seven. Hello, John and Rob, if he's there and he is here. I just watched Bond and again was disappointed in the villain. I feel the Bond films have always had problems with their villains. Not always. Uh, lately, they have not always. Uh, they just can't seem to get the, the villain right. On the other hand, I also just watched Heat. And in my opinion, De Niro plays the perfect villain. After watching Heat, I came up with four things that make a perfect villain. He needs to be a point of view character. You need to see the world from their perspective. He needs to be sympathetic. 
You need to be able to relate to them. Hence, reason number one, he needs to be a minor, a mirror image to the protagonist. Pacino and De Niro's characters are both driven, ruthless men who are control freaks. They must be cold, ruthless, evil bastards, even though they are sympathetic. There must uh, be no doubt that they are evil. De Niro is sympathetic to the point where you almost want to see him get away, but he's also someone who will think nothing of killing anyone who gets in his way. He kills many innocent people in the movie and feels nothing about it. In my opinion, if you have these four things, then you will have a compelling villain. Also think Thanos in Infinity War. Of course, De Niro encompasses these four aspects perfectly, and that's what makes him the perfect villain. What do you think makes the perfect villain? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, Nate Dodd. Very well thought out. I will say this. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as the perfect villain. See, here's, here's what we as film fans do. We see something that works, and then we try to formulize it. We say, oh, okay, that worked. Well, then what's the formula? That's the formula now of what works. Because let's go back to a couple of the first things you said there. You said they've got to be a point of view character that you need to see the world from their perspective and they need to be sympathetic. I would argue that maybe two of the greatest film cinematic, definitely the number one greatest cinematic villain of all time is Darth Vader. Arguably number two is Hans Gruber. Uh, from that, and neither of and to neither of these characters are they POV characters, nor are they sympathetic, nor can you uh, sympathize with them. Yet they are some of the greatest villainous characters, and they uh, Hannibal Lecter himself. I mean, a little bit later they did weird things with them, but initially he was just Hannibal Lecter. There's no so. These are things that can work with that villain and maybe can work with another villain, but may not work with others. It's it, but we as we as film fans have this seemingly insatiable, desperate need to try to formulize everything, that everything needs to be broken down to a formula, and that's what applies. So De Niro is a great antagonist in Heat. Absolutely fantastic. And those uh, items, Nate Dog, that you so beautifully laid out are definitely things that add up to him being the great character that he is. But that doesn't mean that's a formula. That, that doesn't mean that... Other villains need to have those aspects as well to be good villains, because, again, I would argue that the greatest villains of all time don't have those aspects, not because they don't have them, but it's it's an art to it, man. It's there's not a formula to it. It's an art to it. I know, Rob, how would you uh, respond to Nate's very well laid out uh, comment system there? Well, I mean, I like what he had to say, but in terms of like like. You know what 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 is a villain, sir? What, what, what is the purpose of a villain in a story? And obviously, a villain is supposed to counterpoint the, the antagonist is a counterpoint to the protagonist. And I think that the great thing about our favorite villains is that you like them, you know, or you you love to hate them because in some way, shape, or form, you like them. I mean, if you think about Darth Vader, you said Darth Vader is the great villain. When he first shows up, he's shown as being ruthless. He, he's like, you know, if this is a counselorship, where is the ambassador? And he, he has no time for fools. He, and you find out that he's not even, he's in, he's underneath Grand Moff Tarkin and underneath the emperor. You know, he's, he's not even in, in total control of his destiny. He works for other people, but he's really good at what he does. And with Hans Gruber, you, you like him because look, he's just doing what he wants his bearer bonds. He, he's not somebody that's, that's, that's I'm sure you could hang out with Hans Gruber if he didn't want to steal $650 million in bearer bonds. You could probably go to dinner with him and he's probably a delightful person to hang out with. And if you're not going to cross Hannibal Lecter 
and you un, you like good food and good wine and great music the same he, as he does, he probably would be your friend. You know, <laughs> and, and I think that's what that's what makes compelling uh, villains is that is that we like and admire them despite the fact that we shouldn't. And, you know, and it really depends. It depends what movie, because I don't think you can have a great villain without great heroes either. The, right. the heroes have to counterpoint the villain. It's it, it all works together as a thing, as one thing. All right. Let's see if we can get a few more in here while we've got Rob still with us. Uh, Suthius writes, Mr. Campia, you and I are pretty much on the same page with Discovery. Uh, we both enjoy it. Mr. Burnett, I wish I could be, I wish it could be what you want in Star Trek uh, with the show. I honestly thought season three was the last season. Well, I just saw the trailer for season four and I can't wait. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Michael. I like her enough. But I am excited to see how she'll handle the captain's chair. Hopefully this season will perhaps give us more adventures. Uh, that's what I would like to see. Regardless, Discovery is a favorite of mine. Uh, I mean, yeah, Discovery is one of those shows. Uh, Robert, you know, I go back and forth on this a lot. But Discovery is one of those shows that everybody's got an opinion on it. Uh, you either uh, there are people who quite like it, like me. There are people who really quite dislike it, like yourself. And it's just one of those shows. It just all depends how it hits you. I mean, Suthius, it hit you one way. And yes, I, you and I are kind of on the same page. But there's a lot of people that aren't either. So it's uh, one of those. Hey, Rob, any response to Suthius there? <laughs> as he measures his words carefully um no i mean look i i i am always uh, of the opinion that if you find something that you like that is always a great thing agreed yeah. it's a great thing to like things and to have things that you enjoy um you know i i obviously i have a long history with the star trek franchise and star trek means something to me i i think modern star trek since 2009 has been something other than what I fell in love with. So it's hard for me to get on board any of any of the the modern Star Trek shows because I think think that they have fundamentally changed what Star Trek originally was. So that's why it's hard for me to get on board with any modern Star Trek. But you know, the new animated series Star Trek Prodigy I'm looking forward to. I'm hoping I like it. Strange New Worlds, I'd like to like that. <sighs> I was, which, okay, Strange New Worlds, I'm actually quite excited about. I, I am very excited for that. I, I, this animated thing doesn't look good to me. I hope, I, I I, but, I, but, I, but I'll hope. I'll keep my fingers crossed. I'll hope. It doesn't look great. It is very, very different from anything they've tried before. I'll give them that. They're, they're trying something very different for them. So I'll, I'll give them credit for that. But it's kind of like Below Decks, Rob. I, I saw the trailers for Below Decks. I'm like, this does not look appealing to me at yeah. all anyway let's get a couple more in here um let's see jack lumbers writes since dc is doing story outside of shared universe would you be in favor if they announced uh that they were doing dc metals batman who laughs film as a one-shot movie i'm gonna say no and the reason i'm gonna say it was not because it's not a great story rob because the batman who laughs has been one of the most popular things in the batman franchise in a long 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 time but here's the thing about it a batman who laughs requires a fundamental understanding not just of batman and joker and gotham there's a lot of underlying things that you as an audience member need to fundamentally know about this world and these characters for a batman who laughs to really be effective so yep. i honestly don't know that you could do that as just a one-shot movie out of nowhere in a vacuum i don't know if it would work just like i don't know that 
Um, well, no, that's not a good example. So I say, but I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Do you think Batman who laughs could, could work as a one shot standalone? Uh, well, like you said, I mean, it's a pretty wacky take on Batman that requires a larger understanding of the story. Um, I it, look, I think anybody, anything can be done. Well, it just, you have to be clever and know what you're doing. So I wouldn't mind seeing somebody try, although I think it would be very difficult to pull off. Uh, difficult to pull off is, is saying, but I, again, it's a difficult one to do. Okay, let's do one more with Rob still here. Uh, James Hoffman writes, I saw No Time to Die in theater. My first time back in the theater since COVID started. Good to have you back to the theaters, James. It felt good. Uh, my Saturday 1 p.m. screening was pretty empty, maybe about 20 people. I really enjoyed the movie. Felt like classic Bond and a fitting conclusion to the Daniel Craig era. And you know what, James? Apparently, Rob, James wasn't alone to be in a theater that didn't have too many awful people in it. Although I will say, I went to the AMC Tyler Galleria on the opening Thursday night of it. And it was almost full. Like it, it was almost packed. It had a roughly the same amount of people in it as we're in there for venom. And my, my theater was like packed for venom. When I saw it, uh, that thing made 90 million opening, but yeah, apparently it making $56 million, James, which is not bad for this era right now, but uh, less than what they were hoping for having 20 or 30 people in your theater probably was not a unique experience. Uh, but it's good for you to be back there. But Rob, I wanted to ask you because I, I know you, you didn't walk out as thrilled with the movie as I was, but you went back into the, you saw it at the arc light. Did you not? Is that where you saw it? Where did you see it again? The, of, 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 you mean where I went the first time or for no time to die? Yeah. Where, where did you oh, see no, it? I saw it at the Chinese. I went to the, I, you I saw, saw it at it the, the Ch Chinese. Was that yeah. your first time back at the Chinese? Yes, it was my first time back in the big auditorium. I'd been in the smaller, this Chinese the six little upstairs the Chinese to see six, yeah. Army of Dark, Army of the Dead. But no, I went, I went and saw because I wanted to see an IMAX biggest screen possible. I'll, I'm going to go back there and see Dune again because it was fantastic. What was it like and going back into I that was theater? Going, but I did, but you were correct. I did buy tickets uh, back in April 2020. I had my favorite seats at the Arclight in the Dome. And that's why I got my tickets the first time. But of course, that never happened because of COVID. I always sit, when I sit in the Chinese, I sit in row M or N. Because that's basically eye level with the whole, you're dead center in the whole screen. So that's where I like to sit, row N or M. All right, Rob. Well, hopefully we'll see you in row M or N again very soon. Of course, we'll see you back on the show tomorrow. But in the meantime, thanks for being here, dude. Where can people follow you and all of your goodness online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Good for having you here. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one, man. All right, man. I'll see you. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But listen, we still got some time left here. So let's get through a few more of your topics here, shall we? We're just going to take off these headphones. Look at that giant line that leads in my head. Look at that line that leaves in my head. I, mean, I got to get some... Uh, I should start using earbuds, Bluetooth earbuds, so I don't get that line in my hair. Anyway, uh, next up, we've got Geeky for Life, who writes, Hey, John, first time, long time. Good to have you here, Geeky for Life. Uh, loved the new Bond film. I agree with you and Rob that I probably won't remember much about the villain. And yes, it was a bit too long, but I still felt like the time flew by. Anna's portion of the movie was my favorite. Ending was great. So, so clean slate with a new Bond or spinoffs of these other characters. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Geeky. And yeah, I agree. Like, listen, I really enjoyed No Time to Die. I thought it was really fun. But again, it was a waste of a villain. 
especially when you have such a great actor like Rami Malek in there. I won't remember a thing about this villain. I mean, that's something Rob and I both agree with about this movie is that the villain, I thought the villain was badly done. That notwithstanding, I still thought the movie was quite enjoyable. And yes, Anna Armas's whole segment of the movie was great fun, but they're not going to spin off anything. From what I understand, this Bond universe is now done. And they're now going to restart Bond again, as is the tradition whenever they bring in new Bonds. It's a brand new Bond universe again. And uh, we're going to get a new James Bond. So, no, apparently there are no plans for uh, uh, Lashana Lynch's character to get a spinoff. By the way, both Rob and I both really like Lashana Lynch in this movie. Like, Rob and I both really liked her in this. Uh, no spinoff for Ana de Armas's character, which is too bad because I really did like the character a lot. Uh, but apparently it's just brand new Bond, brand new universe, and away they go. Thanks for writing in, Geeky for Life, and good to have you here. All right. Your name writes, two of two. Did I miss a one of two? Uh, I, I don't see a one of two. Okay, your name writes, two of two. Do you have a favorite Bond girl slash villainess? Uh, it's now a toss-up between Rosamund Pike and Anna de Armas. I would say Vesper Lind played by uh, Ava Green in Casino Royale. Now, I know you can go back to Pussy Galore, and there's a lot of the classic ones, but there's something about, like, Ava, first of all, Ava Green is... (laughs) Wow. Ava Green. Anyway, um, Ava Green. Um, The character was great, and the character, as a Bond girl, had a far greater impact on James Bond than any other Bond girl in history. Because even, I mean, I won't spoil anything for those of you who haven't seen No Time to Die, but the effect of Vesper, if I'm pronouncing that right, the effect of her character on Bond is still very, very clear and obvious, even in No Time to Die. And you've never had um, a Bond girl that's had that kind of long-lasting impact on James Bond. And for that reason, she's she's my favorite. All right, uh, next up, Jack Lumbers writes, It has been a month since Netflix released the final season of Lucifer. Can you give a more in-depth thoughts on the final season? Well, again, I don't want to spoil anything. I'll just say this. I, I love the final season. It's not my favorite season of Lucifer, but it was a really, really good season. I enjoyed it very much. I thought the way that it it absolutely ended was great. Um, There was one thing, though. The logic, and I'm going to say this in such a way that only those of you who saw it will know what I'm talking about. The logic that Lucifer's daughter gives him about why he needs to do something a certain way at the end made no sense whatsoever. Like, Anne and I sat down and walked through it. It's like, well, this, this, and this, but all you needed to do is this, and it would have fixed that completely. Like, the actual logic that they used at, in the final episode that leads to the end end of the show, and the end end is great. But the logic they used to get there made no sense whatsoever. Made no sense at all. But... But yes, overall, I really did enjoy it. Again, I, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give spoilers away because, you know, a bunch of people with it being on Netflix still haven't caught up to it. But but overall, I very, very much enjoyed it. Overall, I love the show. Lucifer is one of my favorite shows the last number of years. I, it's absolutely fantastic. If you haven't started watching Lucifer, you absolutely should. All right. Uh, next up. 
We've got BK Dan who writes, John, someone wrote in for a companion video. Have you seen this a sequel before seeing the first? I was like Young Guns 2 before seeing Young Guns. Yeah. So somebody wrote in the other day and asked if I had ever like watched a sequel before I saw the original movie. And I'm sure that I have, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. But the one example that I give is that even though it's not quite the same thing, I saw the movie Serenity before I saw Firefly, the TV show. And of course, Serenity is a a kind of a follow-up movie to the TV show Firefly. I love Serenity. That movie is awesome. Like, it's honestly one of the best sci-fi films, like sci-fi, you know, what I would call bubblegum sci-fi films of the past 20 years. I love that movie. And it was that movie that made me go, man, I got to go back and watch this Firefly show. And then I went back and watched Firefly. So I know it's not the same thing, but that's the closest I come to that. And yeah, if you guys haven't seen Serenity, which, by the way, was my introduction to the great Chiwetel Ejiofor as the operative, one of the best villains in sci-fi movie history, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, You got to see it. You absolutely got to see it. Uh, Okay, next up. Uh, Nate Dog writes, Hello, John and Rob. Just missed Rob, unfortunately. Have you ever seen this Filipino movie called By Bust? I have honestly never seen any Filipino movie, to be honest. It's one of the most insane action movies I've ever seen. It makes the raid look like a tea party. Well, I'll tell you what. Give me a second here. Uh, By Bust. By Bust, a 2018 film um, with, what's what's the synopsis on it here? I'm not seeing, okay. An anti-drug enforcement agency stages a massive drug bust in the slums of Manila. It's only got a 5.8, not that, uh, not that scores on IMDb mean very much, um, but I've not heard of it. I'll tell you what, if it comes around, I will I will keep that in mind, Nate Dog. Thanks for putting that on my radar, man. All right, next up. Dr. Nova writes, Hey, John, I am not a Star Wars fan. When Last Jedi came out, I decided to watch all the Star Wars movies and so watched all of them. But the amount of crap I got for liking The Last Jedi wasn't worth the hassle. Oh, I, I know. It's, listen, I will never understand. Like, there are movies I hate. For sure, there are movies I hate, but I would never give somebody crap unless it's a friend I'm doing in a fun, playful way. I'll give people crap, but it's always in fun. But I will never understand people giving other people crap for liking a film they like. I will never get that. Like, I hate the prequels, hate them, but I love hearing that there are people who love them. I mean, it's not for me, but I want people to love their entertainment experiences. And if you love the prequels, good on you. That's great. I've never understand. See, it's a sign of a really weak mind because here's here's the way it works. Here's the way it works. The sign of a really weak mind is the fact that is when somebody's like, I like a movie or dislike a movie, right? And if somebody doesn't agree with me liking or disliking a movie, that means they're disapproving of me as a person. So if I don't like a movie and you do, then I've got to attack you. I've, I've got to attack you. Because by you saying you like that movie, you are disrespecting me because I don't like it. Now, nobody will admit to feeling that way, but that is the underlying issue. 
That's the absolute underlying issue. And people have got to get beyond that. People got to move beyond that. If you like something and somebody else doesn't, oh, well. If somebody, if you dislike something, somebody else likes it, oh, well. But also with the Star Wars stuff, I just found there was a lot of agenda. Like people had an agenda to not like Star Wars. And therefore, if you like Star Wars, you're against their agenda. And it's like, oh, come on. It's like, listen, if you love Listen, I hate The Rise of Skywalker. I hate that movie. I think it's terrible. I made an entire 30-minute video about all the problems I have with that movie. But if you like it, awesome. I don't agree. You and I won't break bread over that whole topic, obviously. But if you like it, great. If there were things in that movie that spoke to you that didn't speak to me, fantastic. Wonderful. But yeah, you're right, especially, and it doesn't just happen in Star Wars. It it happens in other things as well. You will always get that group of mental midgets out there. I shouldn't use the word midgets. It's not the appropriate term anymore, but whatever, of like mentally inferior, weak people who it's like, oh, you like something that I didn't like? Well, now you become the target and they start attacking you. And it's it's a cancer in the fan community. I, I hope it gets better. But yeah, I get it. I get it why you know you try to jump into a fandom and then people started giving you shit like and and dr nova you become a great example about why this is really cancerous because people who act that way and it can be pro star wars or anti-star wars it can be harry potter fans it can be star trek fans it can be mcu fans it can be dc fans it can be uh, james bond fans it can, it can be it can be anything it can be it can be any of those fandoms at all but why, it's, why I call it so cancerous is because you're a great example of this. You have a new fan or a new potential fan that wants to get into the fandom. And instead of being welcomed in with open arms, what do they get greeted with? Oh, you like The Last Jedi? Well, you fucking suck. And you don't know what you're talking about here. And you know what it does? It's like, okay, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to be a part of this fandom, this fandom. It's cancerous. And you can love movies and you can hate them, but you got to be able to celebrate and expect when in respect when other people do or don't on the same thing. Right. I really like James Bond. No time to die. Rob really doesn't. That's okay. You know, I, um, I don't like, uh, the original blade runner. I puts me in the extreme minority, extreme minority. But I admit it, I don't like the first Blade Runner. I really like Blade Runner 2049, but I didn't like the first Blade Runner. Rob loves the first Blade Runner. Guess what? We get along just fine. And Rob doesn't give me crap, except for in a playful way. Rob doesn't give me crap for not liking Blade Runner. So, yeah. Again, it's just, it's cancerous. um, It's destructive. And it shouldn't have any part in our fandom. It shouldn't have any part in our fandom. And you as fans and we as fans should be able, like Rob and I, when we get together, we we can debate, but we always debate from a position of respecting each other's point of view. It's like, okay, I respect that you like this. Now, I hate it. So let's let's talk about this. I and mean, here's why I hate it. But we can always do that while respecting that somebody else does or does not like what I do or do not like. You know what I mean? And Dr. Nova, all I can say is, I'm extremely sorry that you had that experience. 
I want to apologize on behalf of the real fan community that you had that experience, that you tried to get into something because it looked like fun and you were just shot down because of a bunch of toxic people. And, and that applies to a lot of different fandoms. So, and I'm sure you're not the only person who had that experience. So uh, I apologize, man. I, apo- I feel really, really bad that you had that experience. That's really too bad. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Fanimator writes, if you had a friend who has never seen Star Wars and the MCU, which would you recommend that they watch first? Oh, that's easy. Which one is your favorite and why? The Star Wars. Star Wars is far more influential than the MCU has ever been. Now, Star Wars also has a major advantage in that it came out 40 years ago. Will the MCU... So here's the thing about Star Wars. I always have this debate with people, and everybody knows I love the MCU. I can't wait. I'm going to go to the world premiere of Eternals in a couple of days. Cannot wait. But Star Wars... Look about how popular Star Wars is today. It's been over four decades since this thing came out four decades and it is still one of the most cult pop culturally important properties in the world now with marvel if marvel is still what it is today 30 years from now well then then we can have that discussion right now marvel's been around for one decade Like, literally, Star Wars has been around multi-generations more than Marvel has. So, let's have a discussion 20, 30 years from now. 30 years from now, when we're all talking like this, let's have a discussion 30 years from now, and and we'll see where the MCU is at 30 years from now, and see, is it as still pop-culturally relevant and important as Star Wars was 40 years after it came out? So it's, it's kind of unfair. Like, it's unfair to, to the MCU to try to, because you can't do an apples-to-apples comparison. But for me, it's simple. Star Wars. You start with Star Wars. I mean, Kevin Feige himself will say one of his biggest, if not his biggest influence in his life was Star Wars. You want to know what got Kevin Feige into making the MCU kind of movies? It was Star Wars. That's why Kevin Feige wants to make a Star Wars movie now. So I all day, every day, start with Star Wars. I, different people will give you different opinions, and I'm only giving you my opinion. But if you're asking me, yeah, I would tell people to start with Star Wars for sure. All right, next up. Uh, uh, Gabe Baker writes, I am so floored with Apple TV+. Plus This year alone, Schmigadoon, which is actually really good. Schmigadoon doesn't look like it's for anybody but it's actually pretty damn delightful. Keegan-Michael Key is great in it. Anyway, Schmigadoon, Ted Lasso, The Morning Show, and Foundation, and soon to come, Invasion and Shrink Next Door, plus others I didn't even get. Um, I guess that was it. Plus others I didn't even get. Yeah, and don't forget, there's also a couple of others, especially for All Mankind. I think that might be the best show. Well, other than Ted Lasso. Uh, I think the, for All Mankind might be the best show. Listen, Apple TV Plus which I admittedly kind of dismissed when they first announced Apple TV+. Plus. I, I admit, I kind of dismissed it. But it has turned into a damn good streaming service. Uh, and, it's, and they're only going to get better. So, yeah, don't let the stuff on Apple TV+, Plus fly under the radar too much. All right, uh, next up. Uh, Big Will writes, Hey, John and crew, I was wondering who are you ta- taking... Sorry, let me try this again. 
I was wondering, who are you taking in the fight on November 20th, 2021? Terrence Bud Crawford or Showtime Sean Porter? Uh, pound for pound, hashtag, hashtag Team Crawford all the way. Boxing is back and bring on the filthy. I honestly, I don't care. I'm not a boxing fan. Uh, boxing to me is patty cake with fluffy pillows on your fist compared to MMA. Now, I say that, I just made a bunch of people mad. I didn't mean to make you mad. But I really don't care about boxing. I really don't. Now, that said, man, I just saw one of the greatest fights uh, ever uh, in, in the, uh, the Tyson Fury fight the other night. That fight was insane. That fight was back and forth it was like a rocky movie it was haymaker after haymaker you know guys drop and getting back up i think there were five total knockdowns in the fight i think it was five total knockdowns in the fight it was insane it was such a good fight such a good fight unbelievable but that was the rare exception i honestly i don't care much once like i used to be into boxing more until mma really kind of came into its own and then it's like oh yeah because like i was watching this fight too it's like you knock a guy down get down there and finish him oh that's right in boxing you can't do that you can't do that uh but that's that's just me that's only me i'm only speaking for myself as a fan okay only speaking for myself And listen, one of my earliest childhood sporting memories was my dad taking me to this place where they were doing a closed circuit broadcast of the Sugar Ray Leonard Marvelous Marvin Hagler fight, which made a real impression on me. I mean, that was the fight that made me, and I was just a kid, but that fight, uh, Sugar Ray against the Marvelous one, was the one that kind of really embedded combat sports and made me, for the rest of my life, a fan of combat sports. But... I don't really, um, I, I don't really like, like, like even listen, a couple of years ago, true story. I got to sit down. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I got to sit down and interview the man himself, Sugar Ray Leonard, because Sugar Ray Leonard, I was doing the press day for uh, real steel with Hugh Jackman, which I just watched again the other day. It's su- such a good movie. But Sugar Ray Leonard actually did the fight choreography for Real Steel. So I got to go in and sit down and actually talk with Sugar Ray Leonard, which was a thrill. Because again, one of my earliest sporting memories was my dad taking me to that closed circuit event of Sugar Ray versus Marvelous Marvin Hagler. So for me to sit down with Sugar Ray Leonard, dude, I was nearly pissing in my pants. And he was so nice and so great. But like even Sugar Ray was talking about MMA is really the sport now. Like now mixed martial arts is the sport. So, but again... That's just me. I had a marvelous time watching that uh, that fight the other night. Such a dramatic fight, back and forth. Oh God, it was a great fight. Totally great fight. Uh, but uh, yeah, there there it is. That's my take on that. All right. Uh, next up, we go to uh, Big Will, who writes, "Hey John, I don't know if you watch uh, Versus. Never heard of it. Uh, it's where two legendary hip hop artists battle each other on stage. But a funny thought: uh, who wins a versus voice battle between James Earl Jones and Morgan Freeman? That would be one hell of a showdown. Yeah, listen, you're talking about two of the most iconic voices of all time. Uh, and I would put I would put a third name in there. So you got James Earl Jones, Morgan Freeman, and Jeremy Irons. To me, those three voices are iconic." But 
maybe it's my Star Wars bias, but to me, it's James Earl Jones. Yeah, for me, it's it's, it's James Earl Jones. Uh, all right, let's just do two more. We got time for just two more here, guys. Willow writes, wow, the only Filipino dishes you like are lumpia and adobo. It's true. Uh, I'm, I'm married into a uh, Filipino family, but honestly, the only real Filipino food I like is lumpia and adobo. Well, I don't eat Filipino food that much. Whenever I do, my go-to dishes are always crispy pata or uh, lechon, uh, kawali. Uh, is it too greasy or heavy for you? No, it's just, there's a lot of flavors in Filipino dishes. Like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I have a very bland palate. Like when it comes to my food, I am such a bland eater. Like I like meat and I like pasta and I like sandwiches, but I don't eat a lot of vegetables, which is why I take a lot of vegetable supplements because I don't have enough vegetables in my diet. Um, and so I'm a very bland eater. And so like, I'm not a fan of fish food or of, you know, uh, of a lot of seafood. I'll eat shrimp and I'll, and I'll have like some California rolls or something, but I don't eat a lot of seafood, although I try to eat salmon. I try to make myself eat salmon as much as I can because fish is very healthy for you. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty bland. I'm pretty bland. All right. Uh, let's do this. Uh, last question of the day. We'll pick up here with Chuck the Mystery who writes, Hey, John. Uh, 120. One, oh, one of two. There we go. Uh, one of two. On Friday, you and Rob had an incredibly interesting conversation about one of my favorite sci-fi films of the last 10 years, John Carter. I found Rob's theory about Bob Iger in relation to the film to be an interesting one, along with your rebuttal, uh, along with your rebuttal of it. I also remember you telling a story sometime back about going to the press screening uh, of it where they had a Mars theme and you were fully expecting to dislike the film. My question is, were the other reasons beyond a bad t- were there other reasons beyond a bad title and poor and poor marketing as to why this film failed there were great actors attached including Willem Dafoe and Mark Strong a fantastic score by Michael Giacchino and beautiful visuals it didn't even gain a fan base on home video what happened all right so that's uh, from Chuck yeah listen John Carter so for those of you who missed it Rob, and listen, I'll call it out. It is a crackpot tin hat wearing theory. And I've told this to Rob, so I'm not talking behind his back. But Rob had this theory that Bob Iger purposefully sabotaged the movie so it would fail so that George Lucas wouldn't feel apprehensive about selling Star Wars to him. To me, that makes no sense at all in the world. It makes zero sense in the world. Um, because Bob Iger didn't need that movie to fail to tell George Lucas, hey, don't worry, we won't make any more John Carter movies. That's all he had to say. He's Bob Iger. He was the king of Disney. He was the chairman of the board the, the chief, and the chief executive officer. He answered to nobody. His, he was a king. He could do whatever he wanted. He didn't need the movie to fail. The second reason why I thought it was crazy to say that he purposely sabotaged the movie was because I was at the press weekend Normally for press days, what they do is they book a floor at the Beverly Hills Hilton in Beverly Hills, California. They book a floor of that hotel and they bring in all the cast and the filmmakers and they bring in all the press. And we have a day there where we get to interview the different press and they promote the movie. But do you know how much effort they put into promoting John Carter? 
they literally booked an entire resort outside of Phoenix, Arizona in the desert landscape that looked like Mars. And they flew all of us. There had to have been about maybe a hundred of us, maybe, maybe about 75 of us. They flew all of us to Phoenix and then had these luxury transports pick us up at the airport and drive us out to this incredibly gorgeous resort where they put us up for three days and they took us on these desert excursions, these four-wheel rides through the desert. They took us to rock climbing. And out in the desert, in these beautiful Mars-like landscapes, we got to interview all the cast and all that kind of stuff. And, and they treated us to fantastic meals. And then they took us, you know, drove us into town for an actual screening of the movie and blah, blah, blah. All I'm saying is that they went through a hell of a lot of effort to try to promote this movie. Now, it didn't, all of that didn't make the movie any better or any worse, but they went through so much effort and spent a lot of money trying to create this, this fun press weekend away to promote their movie. That doesn't sound like the actions of a studio that are deliberately trying to sabotage a film. If they wanted to deliberately sabotage that movie... Um, they wouldn't have done that. They just would have said, okay, uh, press stay in Beverly Hills, drive your own ass down here, come on up, interview the people, and then get the hell out. That's what they would have done. But they put on one of the best press weekends I'd ever been a part of. Like, in my life, it was incredible. It was a fantastic experience. Now, yes, I still, and I remember being at that event and talking to the Disney publicists. Now, this was the afternoon before we went to go see the movie that evening because they were going to load us all into these buses, drive us into Phoenix to watch the movie, right? On the day, on the night before we actually interviewed the the uh, cast. And I remember being there. I was I checked into the resort. I had my room. My room was amazing. But I remember talking to the publicists saying, um, so this movie's shit, right? This is what I said to them. I said to these Disney publicists, these friends of mine, I said, so this movie's shit, right? Because these trailers look terrible. You didn't do a very good job. Name it. You changed the name from John Carter of Mars to just John Carter. I mean, so this movie's terrible, right? And they were trying to tell them, listen, we really believe this. You're going to love this movie. This movie's great. Andrew Stanton, the director, did such a great job on it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Sure. Uh, I'm just going to go relax in my hotel room for a few more. In my, It wasn't even a hotel room. I had my own cottage. I had my own cottage. They never do things like this anymore, but they have my own cottage in this resort. I'm just going to go back to my cottage and wait for us to go watch this shitty movie later. So I go back to my cottage, relax, had a wonderful time, soaked in the hot tub, whatever. Then got on the bus, went in, totally expecting to think this movie was going to suck because the trailers weren't all that good, whatever. And I loved it. I thought it was great. And I remember the next day asking these guys, why is the marketing so bad for this? This is a really good movie. What are you guys doing? Anyway, again, it's just to my point of if you were purposely trying to sabotage this movie, you wouldn't have put on a press weekend like that. That's all I'm saying. So I think that was kind of great. But what went wrong with the film? Listen, I, I think you can't get away. People had no idea. And granted, John Carter is a difficult one to market. It is a difficult one to market. Um, 
it's but the trailers it just it didn't communicate anything about it you i never once like i really love this movie and i went back afterwards and watched the trailers and i'm like this i had no idea these trailers gave me no sense of what this movie really was and taking out changing that title completely left an audience completely confused and it became one of the biggest bombs one of the biggest flops in disney history so i i don't think you can get away from it it was a terrible terrible marketing approach it was an awful marketing approach because everybody who saw it liked it but nobody wanted to see it and then after the first weekend the only story about john carter was how big of a flop it was so that becomes a very destructive self prophecy in a way right so i don't know uh just just me but man that movie is so good the movie's so good for marketing that was done so badly anyway uh that's that okay guys listen there are still more questions to come more from chuck the mystery ben elman uh arian and others do not worry i'm going to be doing a companion video a little bit later this afternoon so keep you guys eyes open for that we'll have a companion video up a little bit later and get all caught up here on all the questions you guys have sent in but for now that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you guys so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big thank you to the wonderful Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett for being here and bringing his glory and goodness to the show. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the Super Chat badges and sent in these live questions. Number one, because you supported our show. So thank you guys so much for that. But also for you guys who sent in those, those questions, you also gave us great fun things to talk about. So we thank you very, very much, guys, for your participation and support of the John Campia Show. All right, guys. Don't forget to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you. we got a companion video coming later today. We also got a brand new episode of the John Campus Show tomorrow. Robert Meyer Burnett will be back. We hope you will be back as well. That'll do it for us for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.